Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Today, we re examine ABA therapy and the diversity of the autistic perspective. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Welcome back, everyone. Today we're going to be revisiting ABA therapy. Yes, because we touched on this once before, and now we are having a change of part, more or less. Kind of, but it's also been a really long time. I think we talked about this in season one, and a lot has happened since then. It's been almost a full year since we recorded that episode. So and dare I say we've learned more since then? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to come back to ABA therapy for a couple of reasons. One of those reasons is when we first talked about ABA therapy, that was at the very beginning of our autism journey here, and we were kind of still new to all the nuances of what's happening in the autistic community. Looking at a therapy that we thought would be extremely long and very difficult for our children to partake in on a daily basis, multiple hours a day, we kind of had a negative image, or not necessarily negative, but... The one thing that definitely has not changed for me with ABA therapy is that I am completely against the 40 hours a week therapy for children. I think that's absolutely excessive. And I still to this day will not feel comfortable putting my children in ABA therapy for that reason, among other reasons. But I still do think that some of the conceptions that I had about ABA have changed a little bit because I have been able to get a more nuanced look into the autistic community. When we first came into the autism world, especially in the world of the internet, I'm sure we had a very similar experience to most of you guys listening out there in that there is a bombardment of all this ABA is terrible and all of this information that you get all at once. And season one, we were newer to that world. And when we heard all this stuff from autistic adults, we basically made the assumption that the autistic community is against ABA therapy. However, that was a less nuanced approach. Now that time has gone by and we've spent an additional year looking into the autistic community, talking to more people and getting to know the variety of viewpoints, we've actually learned that that's actually not the case. There is no one single autistic community. There is no monolithic view on autism in the autistic community. And in fact, the viewpoints are actually very diversified. Everybody has their own opinion and they don't necessarily agree with each other. And in retrospect, I don't know how I missed that. (laughs) I think it was just kind of like, oh, you're told something you just assume right off the bat. But what's interesting is our previous episode was about misinformation. And here we're talking about how we fell for misinformation. So everybody falls for it. It happens to everyone. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, you raise a good point. And I mean, we have to kind of remind ourselves that as much as we like to think that people are on the same page in whatever walk of life we are going through, that is the easy way out, essentially, because it basically 
takes away the burden of having to listen to individuals talk about their experience with the individual therapy. So by just putting a blanket over, okay, this is the viewpoint of the entire autistic community, it basically kind of takes away all the deep digging to find out what actual individuals think within the autistic community. The one thing that I heard a lot is making sure that we hear and listen to autistic voices, which I completely agree with. I do think it's important to listen to the voices of whatever subject matter you are talking about. If you're talking about patients who have dyslexia, of course, it's important to talk to people who actually have dyslexia if you want to learn more about it. It wouldn't make sense not to. And I feel like that's the same thing with autism or anything else. If we want to learn more about the autistic experience, it only makes sense to talk to autistic adults. Now, with that said, I do think that there's a very large vocal majority on the internet who tend to push. Yes, they're kind of like a very loud majority voice that tends to give the impression that they are the majority. And I highly suspect after all the connections that I made with all these autistic adults that that is actually not the case. One of the things that I worry about is that in pushing a narrative from what people say is the quote unquote autistic community, we actually are inadvertently stifling the voices of autistic adults. And the reason I say that is because this is actually something that I personally have experienced myself as a minority. So I I am Latina. And because I'm Latina, there is a large majority of Latino or Latino representation out in public, for example. They tend to have one specific type of viewpoint on certain things, whether that's politics or what companies you like or what type of music you listen to, whatever it is. <laughs> right, whatever it is. I personally don't tend to fall within those stereotypical lines. However, the reaction from my own people in that tends to be that you're not a real Latina then because you don't fall in line with what this majority mentality is. And I have fallen victim to that in the sense that I have had my voice stifled and I know what it feels like to have people tell you that your voice doesn't count in your own community. So I feel like it's really important for us to take into consideration the underdog voices. We need to lift their voices. Just like there's this big movement on Facebook, social media to lift black voices. You see that icon in social media. I think that within the autistic community, there needs to be a movement to lift the minority voices there as well. I think that's just as equally important. And I would raise the question, okay, then how do we lift these voices? And the answer is very simple. You just listen. Just don't stifle them. We'll just listen to what they have to say and basically just kind of enter into the conversation, kind of a judgment-free, okay, what is your experience with X, Y, and Z? And then from there, you can kind of form your thoughts about what you actually perceive it to be as well. And then that's where you create the dialogue. And this is important in, in relation to the ABA therapy argument, because this is really what was the changing factor for me was when I met plenty of diagnosed autistic adults who actually support ABA therapy. There's some that are well-known and honestly well-hated. I would say like the Autism Cafe, everybody knows who that is. And whether you know her because you love her and you follow her, or you know her because you can't stand her because of her views, regardless of where you stand on that, you know of her more than likely. And one of the reasons is because she is a very vocal advocate of ABA therapy. She's an autistic adult herself with an autistic child, and she believes that ABA therapy does indeed benefit her child. 
And I've spoken to other autistic adults who, again, are diagnosed autistic adults who do support ABA therapy. And we even interviewed in the Embracing Autism IRL podcast, we interviewed an autistic adult who runs an ABA therapy clinic. And she's not the only one. There are other autistic adults that both run ABA clinics, are owners of ABA clinics, and are actually BCBAs themselves. They are the ones providing the ABA therapy. So this idea, this notion that the autistic community opposes ABA therapy is one that is prevalent on the internet, but it's not actually accurate. And I would say that I believe that that is misinformation. And even if we go more granular, I've seen individual discussions within the ABA stylistic uh, approach where I've seen arguments where it would be um, one person is arguing that, um, what is it, where you give the, the reward for um, completing a task? I yeah. Remember, I can't remember what they call that. It's just kind of like, like the, 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 the positive. In, or, Ugh, just keep going. I don't know. <laughs> um, where one person is saying, oh my gosh, that's absolutely horrible. And then the other person um, who's autistic who went through ABA is like, well, I actually liked getting a reward or a treat every time I was completing a task as I was asked to do so. So, I mean, you have the totally different viewpoint where one person's like, oh my gosh, it's complete abuse that they're rewarding them for completing a task. And then the alternative is like, well, I didn't mind it. I liked getting a treat or whatever it was. And I'm totally okay with the reward system because I don't see that as any different than what we do with our neurotypical children. Like I was raised on a reward system for potty training. A lot of people that I know were. And I mean, I didn't have any trauma from that. A lot of people that I know didn't have any trauma from that. And honestly, most of adult human existence is based off of a reward system. Like you go to work and your reward is you get a salary, you're incentivized. There's even things called incentives at work. There's performance bonuses. Like these are, there's things that are even labeled like essentially a reward bonus. Well, so as I say, you think of like a salesman, oh, you went above and beyond the quota. Here's extra bonus money or what? Like, I mean, it's, I mean, regardless, yes. you, I mean, you almost have to go out of your way not to see some type of reward system. I mean, at, at the end of the year, you are at work given a performance evaluation. Right. They are evaluating your performance. That word performance, if we use that in ABA therapy, if we dare say this is your child's performance level during therapy, there's a certain group of people who would say, that's insane, that's abuse, that's horrible, you're judging them by their performance, even if it's the exact same term that we are using for ourselves as adults in the working world. And dare I say, if you've ever given someone a thumbs up or a high five, you are just continuing that process <laughs> down the line. Stop rewarding them. <laughs> no, but at the same time, though, I do see that there are some concerns with ABA therapy, and I still stick to my guns when it comes to the fact that I do believe that ABA therapy has the potential to go wrong very quickly and easily. And the reason I say that is because there's a couple of factors. A lot of these, though, are the same as if I was going to be putting my kid in a daycare or school. Those other areas could also have these risk factors. So it's not exclusive to ABA therapy. But I do feel that ABA therapy is at higher risk. And I feel like the reason it's at higher risk is, well, a couple reasons. One of those is that ABA therapy tends to have a high turnover rate with the people who are conducting the therapy, whether those are the BCBAs or the higher ups, there tends to be a high turnover rate. And so when children are going to therapy, one of the things that's important, of course, for autistic children is routine. That routine is going to be broken consistently and constantly because of the turnover rate. They will never get the same person. And I hear that over and over and over and over again. There's also the problem that they're not able to necessarily fill in that person if they leave. So there's gaps in therapy that hurts with the routine when it comes to an autistic child. 
And the other thing that I'm also very opposed to, though, is with the ABA therapy, there does still tend to be very common instances of it being poorly or inappropriately done. Now, I know the rules and regulations for ABA basically say that you can't do things that are like punishment or anything like that. However, in practice, I've seen many instances from parents complaining on the internet about how an ABA practitioner did in fact harm their child. And I don't mean physically, but I mean like they did use the tactics that they're not supposed to be using in ABA therapy, like either having punishment or not letting a child basically get their favorite toy or something like that, even though they're really crying and they really need it, or anything where the child just seems to be clearly in a lot of distress and the BCBA is still pushing the issue. I think that that to me is unethical. Well, I think that there is a number of potential reasons that it might have a higher I don't want to say abuse rate, but a higher um, infraction. Incident rate, maybe? Right. Maybe incident is probably the best approach. Because if you think of, okay, our daughter, I think they were quoting us like 40 hours for ABA when we were first looking into it, versus her physical therapy, which was what, one hour a week? One hour, 45 minutes or so. Okay. So based on just pure statistics, you have a 40 to one comparison. Not to mention for our physical therapy, we're sitting in watching the physical therapy for that one hour versus you can't, I mean, I guess you could possibly sit for 40 hours a week and just watch ABA. But it it kind of opens the door to if you do have, and I, I want to stress this, if you do have a bad therapist, it opens the door for potential downfall and incidents. Of course, I mean, it all goes back to the therapists that they're working with. Or the uh, are they considered therapists, like the ABA specialists? Well, it just depends because you could get somebody who's a BCBA or you could get somebody who essentially is at a, like a PhD level. Like it kind of depends who you get. There's different levels depending on the education level that they have. Right. So, I mean, I guess because you're kind of setting the stage for extra hours and you're not necessarily observing, it does open the door for potential incidents just naturally if you have, of course, a bad ABA right. person. And what I've kind of observed is that it tends to be that the ones that are more qualified and more educated, they tend to be the ones who put together the plans and they are the ones that may initially sit down with you and tell you everything they're going to do. But the people actually executing the plan and executing the therapy with your child, those tend to be the ones that are less experienced and are experiencing the high turnover rate. I looked up online and it turns out that the training that's necessary to become a qualified BCBA is actually not a lot. The program is not very rigorous. I looked into it myself because I was like, wow, this is this is so easy. I could honestly just apply and do this program myself. And to me, that didn't give me a whole lot of confidence because I feel like there needs to be a more rigorous system for me, for me to feel comfortable with somebody who's going to be basically in charge of my child. Now, I know for the people who are putting the plans together, they tend to have a whole lot of experience, but they're not typically the ones that are with your child day to day. And that to me is the bigger concern. So I still feel very uncomfortable with ABA therapy. I still wouldn't personally put my children in it. Now, with that said, I do know and feel comfortable with certain ABA therapists and clinics. They just aren't near me. Like, for example, we mentioned Behavioral Foundation Centers, but they're located in Florida and we're not. But that one is an autistic led. And I do feel like I would just by default, be more comfortable with a therapy clinic that is autistic led because they know and they tend to be more empathetic and they tend to not do any of the harmful stuff. Right. Especially if they went through the program themselves, because then they, I mean, they are clearly there advocating for ABA if they had gone through the ABA process. So they, I mean, believe in the system that they are themselves using. So, I mean, it kind of gives a little bit more credibility of sorts that, I mean, as far as for the institution itself. 
And so the question comes up all the time, is ABA therapy abusive? And I feel like the answer to this question purely depends on who you ask. If you were to ask some of the vocal autistic adult community online, they would very clearly and adamantly say, yes, ABA therapy is abusive today. Even though it's changed, it is just a prettier version of abuse, essentially. And again, I say the autistic community, but you can't see the air quotes. <laughs> as, I, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, what truly is the autistic community? It's not what we think it is. There's actually a lot of autistic adults who support ABA therapy. And so with that said, I don't feel like all ABA therapy, modern therapy is abusive. I do feel like some modern ABA therapy is abusive. And what I struggle with essentially is Do I want to go through all the mental work and the research to try to make sure that whatever ABA therapy I put my child in is not the abusive kind? For me personally, that's not worth the energy because I would feel like I'd have to observe everything. I'd have to really be deeply involved. And that's just something that I feel like would take up so much energy when I could instead put my child in an alternative that's not known to be harmful like floor time therapy. Right. And for me, I I guess my answer, maybe it's a dumb one, but as you were talking, I was thinking about it. I don't consider ABA abusive. I consider people abusive. So depending on the person that is trusted and put in that place, it could be good. It could be bad. It's kind of the argument that people make essentially is, oh, is technology good or bad? It's like, well, it depends on in what context it's being utilized. I mean, you can make that argument for just about anything under the sun. Yeah, you could say like, oh, is a stick abusive? I'm like, well, are you hitting someone with it or <laughs> right. are you playing or building a house with it? Like, Right. Because, I mean, if you look at the ABA that's being used, if it is, in fact, bad ABA where it is doing something abusive on the books and you can pinpoint it to that, it wouldn't stand up in a court. I mean, these people would be arrested in a heartbeat and put away for a very long time. I mean, problem child is abuse usually is off the books. That's the problem. Right. And that's, and that's the thing. That's where you have to draw the line between, okay, is this a good ABA specialist or a bad one? But that's why I try to put the focus on the individual, not necessarily the program, but, yeah. but I'm not sure if that's like a dumb way of like, no, 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 that, no, that makes complete sense. It's kind of like blame the, the person, not the thing. Right. So is it the problem with ABA therapy in itself? Now, I do actually find that a little bit tricky because I do think in some circumstances, the problem could lie with ABA in itself. It depends on how the person's interpreting the written word of the ABA, like what it says to do. If somebody is interpreting it in a way that means like, oh, I need to repeat these things very strictly over and over and over to gather data. And they don't have like kind of like the common sense to be like, oh, obviously this doesn't mean to keep doing it despite the kid being in distress. Then, you know, that can change the interpretation. So I just feel like there's a very human aspect to it. And then there's just like the textbook version of it. And you just need to have somebody behind the wheel who can use common sense to determine whether or not it's harming the child. And of course, this is our opinion. And if for any reason you do have a ABA person who has any type of abuse on your child, please reach out to the local authorities. Yeah, definitely report that. Yeah, (laughs) Shut it down Um, immediately. Exactly. My recommendation is if you are pro-ABA therapy, I have nothing against that. That's you as a parent, you can make the best decision for your child. I don't know your child, so I obviously can't make that decision and I have no right to tell you what to do with your child. 
So if you feel like that is best for your child, go for it. I just always encourage to be very heavily involved, just as you would with anything like with school, daycare. If you had neighbors taking care of your child, like, you know, you're always involved because you want to make sure that your child is in good hands. And I just feel like ABA therapy is no different than that. You're going to have somebody who is spending a lot of time with your child. So you're going to want to make sure that you can trust that person. And from what I've seen, the experiences of other parents online, that is not always a good scenario. There have been plenty of scenarios where that was a bad experience for their child. But there have also been plenty of scenarios where it's been a great experience and the child loves their BCBA. So it's really case by case. We just need to basically take into consideration that autistic adults are not all on the same page with this. Right. And I mean, in my dad's group, I kind of see kind of the mirror to that, that there are a bunch of dads that are pro-ABA and they say the good things that uh, they've experienced with their kids and such. Yes. And I know that autistic adults who have autistic children They have talked about how they are totally comfortable putting their own autistic children in ABA therapy, despite having their own experiences. And a lot of the times it's because the kid is doing self-harm behavior or high elopement risk or things that are, you know, very dangerous or could be life altering. So these are things that if you're in this moment of desperation, I mean, I, I can totally understand that. You'd totally be willing to do anything you can just to see if you can help your child. I don't blame parents for that at all. If I was in a situation where I felt like none of the other therapies were taking care of it, I would probably consider it myself too, because it's like a last resort. Like I've got nothing else. It's a Hail Mary. So I can totally understand that. I just personally have never been in the situation where I feel like the other therapies have not been able to address my concerns, including self-harm behavior, elopement, and all that. So I personally have not felt the need for ABA therapy. Those are the things that we need to keep in mind is that the autistic community is divided. They do not all agree on this. There's a lot who actually support ABA therapy and their voices are simply getting stifled on the internet. Even though we haven't partaken in ABA therapy, it's not like we're basically kind of going out with anything, kind of filling that void with our time. We've kind of mentioned it before a little bit that we focus on kind of the the floor time therapy as well. We mentioned it a little bit before in season one. I'm not sure if we mentioned it anywhere else. But we are huge advocates of floor time therapy. We both got trained in floor time therapy through a parent group that was led through our local school district. They basically had a special education department, and that department was responsible for providing parents of autistic children with free floor time training. And basically, the reason that we decided to pursue this route is because we really liked the theory behind floor time therapy. It's called floor time therapy because the motivation and incentive is basically that you get down on the floor with your child and basically experience life with them. Literally. (laughs) I mean, we were on the floor with our, I mean, what must have been uh, 18 months, two years. And we were basically working with her. We find what her special interest is or what she's really interested in. And we use that to kind of navigate the world with her. Yeah. So with floor time therapy, basically what you're supposed to do is really focus on your child leading the sessions. The sessions are informal. It's basically opportunistic. Whenever you see an opportunity in your child's natural environment, you can throw in some floor time therapy to work on certain things like speech or behavior or whatever it is that your child is struggling with. And it's basically helping to teach your child self-regulation, engaging and interest in the world, engaging with other peers, relating to other peers, making sure that you're teaching your kids to have two-way communication. Once you're able to do that, then you try to work on more complex communication, problem solving, those sorts 
sorts of things starts very gradual and it's at the pace of your child. So if your child's progressing really quickly in an area, you could just keep chugging along. If your child's struggling in an area, you could basically stretch it out as long as you need to. It's all about doing it within the comfort level of your child. So you're never really trying to overexert your child. It's not supposed to be work for your child. It's supposed to be like opportunistic to help your child naturally develop rather than it feeling like overwhelming, like putting in 40 hours a week type of thing. And I think the other thing that helps is because it is centered kind of around like the idea of like play, even though they're in, I'm doing air quotes, um, (laughs) therapy since it's floor time therapy, it doesn't, in my opinion, feel like therapy to them because they're basically just playing as they would any other day. So, I mean, my oldest daughter loves ducks. So I remember, I think we were working on one or two step commands to see if she understood instructions. So it was, can you put the duck on top of the slide? Can you put the duck under the slide? Just, is she able to understand instructions as auditory? And I mean, she was loving it. She wanted us to keep going and make the (laughs) duck fly or go exploring or be behind the sofa or something. So, I mean, she was just having a blast trying to think of all the silly ways that she can move the duck of around like our living room. And she had no idea that because we were kind of working with floor time therapy, she was actually getting a great experience where she was learning how to listen very closely to instructions. And then from there, we were able to engage with her. And one of the things that I really like about floor time therapy is that part of the goals is for your child to be able to develop a stable, separate sense of themselves. I feel like that's really important for building independence and making it so that your child feels confident in their own self. Whereas I feel like with ABA therapy, they kind of become dependent on the system in the sense that when you give all this structure and you give all this direction over time, if the child is out of ABA therapy, I just feel personally like that would make things more difficult when you lose that structure. Personally, floor time therapy is definitely something that I am a huge fan of. In a dire situation, I may consider ABA, but I just don't feel like I need it right now. And I feel like all the other therapies are perfectly addressing our needs. And our kids have seen a lot of improvement despite not being in ABA therapy. Some of the milestones are very slow to get to. I mean, you have to put in a lot of work. So, I mean, it's not going to be, oh, we were working on this task yesterday. Like they should be able to easily master it today. And it's like, (laughs) it's like, no, I mean, some tasks take weeks, months. I mean, we're still working on (laughs) some that have been ongoing. But I mean, I think it's just the, the idea of consistency and dedication where you're staying focused on individual areas of uh, hardship or struggle that they're going through. We're going to wrap this episode up now, but I basically just wanted to record this episode to officially redact my original comment in the first season on ABA therapy, where I said that the autistic community is against ABA therapy. That's inaccurate. That's misinformation. Do we have like a negative buzzer that's like, ah, misinformation. (laughs) That's going to be terrible on audio. I'm sorry, guys. That was misinformation. The autistic community is actually, in fact, divided on ABA therapy. There are plenty of autistic adults who actually support ABA therapy, participated in ABA therapy. If you guys are interested in more information about that, feel free to send us a message on Autism Wish at Autism Wish on Facebook or Instagram, and I'd be happy to provide you some resources to those autistic adults. So think it over, find out what is best for you, your child, family, and go from there.
Yes, at the end of the day, listen to other people's opinions, get a well-rounded viewpoint, but make the decision that you think is best for your child. We're not experts. The people on the internet are not experts. Even doctors and therapists, they're experts in what they do. They're not experts in your child. You are the only expert in your child and you have every right to make the decision that sits best with you. Well said. (laughs) (laughs) So that's all for today. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. To review, today we noted how the autistic community is in fact divided on ABA therapy, with some passionately supporting and others adamantly opposing. We also discussed that although there are many good ABA clinics, and even some led by autistic adults, it's important to be closely involved in your child's therapy should you choose to pursue ABA in order to prevent any potential harm with a bad therapist. Lastly, we mentioned how floor time therapy is a child-led therapy that can be considered as an alternative to ABA. Tune in next time as we chat about the debate on profound autism as a potential autism designation in the DSM and answer questions such as, what is profound autism? Why are people advocating for it to be added to the DSM? And how could that potentially impact autistic children with lower support needs? This is Embracing Autism. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.